Hey, let's pray together before we jump in. Thank you, Father, for um, just a good day. And uh, Father, to rejoice uh, from the news that the Sanders are making themselves available to do wonderful things for your glory. And um, ask, Father, you give us clarity about this book as we try to catch up and get up to speed with it uh, so that we can begin chapter 6 and, and move forward. So please bless this time, and would your spirit please illuminate it to our understanding. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week we did kind of a recap pulling up to um, the whole beginning of Deuteronomy. We talked about suzerain vassal treaties and the structure that it's set up. We talked about uh, the boundaries of land that were conquered uh, in this situation, um, why this was uh, an okay thing to do. And we also talked about the evidence that was mounted against the people of the land that warranted the judgment of God upon them. Uh, and before we step forward and, and go through and, and see some of these things from chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and, and probably 4 today is what we're going to grasp, um, does anybody have any questions about anything that they've, they've seen? Maybe something I didn't cover clearly. Maybe something that was just, I don't know what we're doing. Anything? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Anybody know that joke from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Was the Abrahamic covenant conditional? No, it was unconditional. In fact, it is only the covenant that was made with Moses that is conditional. All of the other covenants are completely unconditional. And here's the reason why that's important. is because that doesn't just play in line with, with promises that were made to the Jewish people to Israel. That, that's extremely important and that's a huge part of it. But the other thing is, is that we can't understand the goal of end times prophecy if we don't understand the unconditional covenant that was made with Abraham at the beginning that leads to that point. Let me give you for instance. What are the three things that were promised in the Abrahamic covenant? Land, seed, and worldwide blessing. So the seed, in particular, was that Abraham was going to have kids, that Isaac was going to have kids, that Jacob was going to have kids, and next thing you know, they got oodles and gobs of kids, right? As many as the sands on the shore. In fact, if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, look what it says in verse 10. Yahweh your Elohim has multiplied you, watch this, and behold, you are this day like the stars of heaven in number. Everybody see that? In fact, isn't that what he tells Abraham in Genesis 15? Go out and look up at the stars and count them if you are able. So will be your descendants. Now, this isn't a very popular view. In fact, I haven't heard anybody but myself that holds this. And, and, and when Moses is bringing this recollection in verse 10 of chapter 1, it is coming out of Egypt to Mount Sinai. They haven't wandered in the desert yet or anything like that. And that's probably what? The estimation is it's about 2 million or more people. I believe personally that Moses is telling us that that has been fulfilled. That the idea of them having seed has been fulfilled in the facet of as numerous as the stars of the sky. I don't see how we can't get around that from a plain reading of the text. Now, we know the worldwide blessing, the blessing part, right? I will bless him who blesses you, and I will curse him who curses you. What is considered the worldwide blessing? 
Jesus Christ, right? He didn't just die for the Jews. He tasted death for every man. He's the propitiation for all sins, not just saved people, but unsaved people. So the whole world is blessed, and and, and that is with the scope of eternity, of course, in mind. But also, have you ever noticed that nations who have contact with Israel are blessed by God in doing so? Has anybody ever noticed that? Uh, is anybody, um, you guys probably, how many people are on Twitter in this room? <laughs> There's three of us, that's great. Uh I have a Twitter account, and I follow Israel's Twitter feed, and they re, re, retweeted something that had to do with Israel's Air Force. Does everybody know that Israel has the most elite Air Force in the world? Everybody know about the Iron Dome? Okay, and how whenever missiles are being fired from the Palestinians into Israel, they are able to knock them out in the sky before they even do that. They are tactical geniuses, and whoever is attached to them ends up being incredibly blessed by God. And and I make no apologies for saying this comment, okay? Our nation deserves to burn in hell for what it has done just simply with unborn children. From our abortion situation and that whole mess, that's murder. And we have it daily on our hands. With what's gone on with fatherless and fatherlessness in our cities now, with the way that our school system has completely rejected the idea of a divine creator, and instead we're going to say stuff just happened out of chaos, and next thing you know we have order? I mean, who writes this garbage? I tell you who, it's Satan. But the one thing that keeps us from going down is our leader's affiliation with Israel. I guarantee it. And the smartest thing that Trump has done as presidency, and I have nothing but respect for him in doing this, he made the bold stand to say Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel, and we are moving our embassy there. And here's an amazing thing. Notice this. And this is the way that America used to be back in the day. America used to be the ones who were trailblazers setting the pace for society. Somehow society came up around us, and now we're playing catch-up with everybody. But in this situation... Have you noticed that a lot of nations have followed and setting up their embassy in the same place? Amen. That's an amazing, God-glorifying, redirect your focus about what is really true. It's a truth matter beyond anything else. I don't know if Trump and his administration see it like that, but above and beyond, it is a truth matter. uh, matter. And, And I don't want to say like it's a slap across the Palestinians' face because I'm not a big fan of anybody dying without the Lord Jesus. I think that's important. But still what we see is those strides being taken, us being connected to them. We are an extremely blessed nation. I don't know why we're still standing, except for that point, except for what the Bible tells us about how that's possible. Those who bless you, we will bless them. It's real, it's, it's real plain. It's real simple. But the last one is the what? Seed, blessing, land. And Israel has never occupied the land that's been promised to it never and so since that is the case that is everything that we're waiting on with the return of jesus christ because what do you have over in the middle east and all those areas mitch do we have a map of the middle east section kind of looking into iraq and i know i'm putting you on the spot here are you mumbling something mean under your breath the beard is catching many crass words there you go 
What is this over here? Of course, we know the Persian Gulf. What is this? We know? We know our geography? Iraq? Just north of that? Iran, right? Dangerous. North of that is Russia, right? Getting into some craziness. Down over here, still the same place. It's called Egypt, right? Now, think about how incredible this is. In Genesis 17, 19, let's turn there because I want you guys to see it. Mark it. It's such an important part of your Bible. You're like, which is it, Genesis 19 or 17? Hold on, I'll tell you. Genesis 19. No, it's not. Genesis 15. It's been a day. Um, Genesis 15. I appreciate it. I am very human. I am ridiculously human, okay? Uh, Genesis 15, verses 18 through 21. On that day, Yahweh made a covenant, made a contract with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I have given this land. Now watch it, because he's very particular about the boundaries that are set in place. From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Kadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. You say, what in the world is that? Well, don't even worry about the tribes of people. That was specified for them. And if we were to read through the Old Testament, especially in Judges, you find an unfolding of who all of these people really are. But what we're essentially saying is, is from here, okay, all the way to here. That is the expanse of land that belongs to Israel. They have never occupied that land. Now, there are some people who don't believe in the millennium, are millennialists, And they'll say, no, 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 it can't be about coming back and and taking possession of the land and fulfilling that promise and everything because at some point in some time in David's ministry, Solomon's ministry, somewhere in there, somewhere, there was a full occupation of the land. There never was. It's not there. That's just a way to rationalize a belief that you hold about everything else and let that determine how you handle the text. If we take the text for face value, what it says, it says that they're promised all of that. Now, forgive the pun. Uh, I guess it's a pun. But all that Israel has is a little bacon strip right here. It's right here. That's it. And it's funny because they don't eat pork, right? Okay. Make sure. But, but notice what you have around them. Muslims. 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 Turkey to the north there. Muslims. Now, hold the phone, guys. How in the world do you have millions and millions and millions of Muslims surrounding a people group that they hate with the passion? Does everybody know who Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is? Have you heard of him? Used to be the prime minister, I think it was, of Iran. He actually stood in front of the United Nations and said, our goal is to wipe Israel off the map. They do not deserve to exist, and we will not rest until we exterminate that people group. And somebody's upset with people here for racism. What's going on? You see what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. But what other could it be than the promise of God and the hand of God keeping mass destruction and murder from becoming an influx in that land? It's God's hand. 
It's God's hand taking care of his people. It's amazing. So, so what is the whole what is the whole scenario? This is this is a real long answer to your question. But what is the whole scenario with the idea of it being an unconditional covenant? Here's the reason why. Is because the full extent of the land will become occupied and will be fulfilled because God has promised it to be so. And when he made that promise, he put Abraham asleep and only the presence of God passed through the pieces of the animals that were sacrificed. In other words, what he's communicating is it all rests on his shoulders for the fulfillment. Now, here's the great thing. God is going to fulfill this in a literal fashion like nobody's ever seen before. And what is that? The Lord Jesus rips through the sky and returns. And when he sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, outside of Jerusalem, it will split in half. And he will occupy at that moment all of it. Because, I mean, think about it. How in the world do you take land away for millions and millions and millions and millions of Muslims who've lived there a long, long time? I mean, it's not politically correct to say, well, that land's not yours to begin with. You know, who's getting by with that one? Good grief, you have a lot of people breathing down your neck, sending you death threats, wouldn't you? But how do you do that? And sad to say, and it's horrible, because because God is very clear. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It does not please him one bit to see wicked people die. I don't know whoever came up with that, but that's not what the Scriptures say. But when Jesus comes back, the time of grace is over. And at that moment, it's war, and he wins. And all of those people groups, all those Muslims, if they have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, they'll die. How do you take all that land? You speak truth and people die. It's amazing. He doesn't need a weapon. He doesn't need a a bomb. He just needs to speak the word and people can't handle it. So that's what it's all leading to. That's why the whole thing, that's why the Bible needs to be understood chronologically from beginning to end. So important. Good question. Anybody else have any other questions before we jump in? That was just the first question. We good? Okay, so let's let's look at some things here. Uh, turn back to Deuteronomy 1 and try to get us caught up to the end of 4. That would be good. I don't want to spend too much time reviewing, but I also don't want anybody to be lost in what we're doing. So if you remember, it was only an 11 days journey for the for the children of Israel to get to where they needed to be from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea. But what was interesting was is it took 40 years. And why was that? It was because of rebellion. And so in that time, what you find is that Moses is recapping their previous history. He is giving them a history lesson so that they will not be doomed in repeating it, a very important tenet that the Scriptures first take up. As he goes down through there, there's an, an expounding upon the law. Uh, it was given at Horeb. Remember Horeb used in Deuteronomy is another word or another name for Mount Sinai. So every time that you see Horeb there, you can just circle it. It's what I've done. I've circled it and I've written in Mount Sinai uh, next to it in order to help with that. But anytime it's uh, verse 8, see, I've placed the land before you. Go in and possess the land which Yahweh swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to them and their descendants after them. Notice he's referring back to the Abrahamic covenant as the reason why they have right to the land. And the fact that the Lord's telling them to do it is giving them the, the right to go into the land and to take it from them. And so what you find is, is that Moses is pretty much stressed out because he's listening to everybody's uh, cases that they have going on. Uh, um, you get a group of people together, and one thing that you know you're going to have is an argument. 
And so he's having to go through all of that. His father-in-law comes and, and, and tells him, this isn't good. You need to pull some people that are wise next to you. Let them handle the cases and the hard things. Let them bring to you. He does that. Uh, he does, tells, warns them not to show any kind of partiality in the community that they have. Uh, then move on, verse 21. Yahweh, your Elohim, has placed the lamb before you. Go up and take possession as Yahweh, the Elohim of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Notice it refers back to the rights of the covenant and the commissioning to go forward. And any time that we see the word possess in Deuteronomy, what is a word that is interchangeable with that idea? Inherit. It's the whole idea of inheritance. And this is important to understand. Two weeks ago, we talked about types and anatypes uh, in the Bible briefly when we talked about Jonah, the fish, the whole deal um, in Sunday morning worship. The whole idea of Israel coming in and inheriting the land is a type of the inheritance that the Christian has in Christ. The first generation fails in their inheritance of the land. Why? Because they did not believe what God said. They did not go in, as he said, and take possession in his power. The only people that survived that time were Caleb and Joshua. And the reason is, is because Caleb and Joshua were not like the other ten spies. The other ten spies were immediately put to death, and all of their people, 20 years and older, died in the wilderness. It took 40 years for it to happen. It was a judgment because of, same problem, unbelief. Unbelief, unbelief, unbelief invites the judgment of God every time. Moving on here. Uh, let's see here. da 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 uh, so they, they uh, make the plan to go in and send in the spies. So the spies come in the land, they come back, they give a bad report. Um, they decide that whenever God pronounces judgment on them, uh, let me see, um, verse 35 of chapter 1, not one of these men, this evil generation, shall see the good land which I swore to your fathers. Verse 36, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it. To him and his sons, I will give the land on which he has set foot because he has followed the Lord fully. Everybody see that? However, God's anger burned against everyone else in the situation. He pronounces judgment. Now, the people there make a critical mistake when discipline is meted out. Now they turn, they go, oh, I will now go back and do what you initially told me to do so that I don't have to suffer these consequences that you're going to give to me for my failure and my unbelief. God says, don't do it. Don't go after these people to try to conquer them. I am not with you, and you will be slaughtered if you do that. People don't listen. End of chapter 1, uh, the people don't listen. They end up going anyway, uh, and the Lord the Lord actually ceases to talk to them for a little bit is, is what it seems to, to go, because he says, I am not among you. They would not listen. They rebelled against the Lord. Uh, it's a bad, bad situation. Notice verse 45 of chapter 1. Then you returned and you wept before Yahweh, but the Lord did not listen to your voice nor give ear to you. And you were in Kadesh for many days. There's the problem. Now they're to wonder. And so ver chapter 2 verse 1 is them actually turning and wondering. We don't really have much uh, recorded as far as the actual wandering in the wilderness. It was just 40 years of circles and circles and circles never leading anywhere it was it was a mess but here's some things that we see chapter 2 verse 4 when the children of israel finally turn and start heading north up the coast there and mitch can we bring up a thing of uh of the israel 
line with the Jordan River and all that stuff. And Mitch is just a, a genius. You really are. There's a special little affectionate place in my heart for you, buddy. So can we scroll down just a tiny bit? Ooh, this is a nice little colorful map. Um, there we go. Everybody see here, Edom, Moab. Everybody see that? And look over here, Kadesh Barnea, okay? So we get the idea here of the desert that's going on. Of course, Mount Horeb is located way south of that. But come up to Kadesh Barnea. And notice in chapter 4, or sorry, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, uh, and command these people saying, you'll pass through the territory of your brothers, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir. And what Seir is, S-E-I-R, is Edom. That's what this is. So, Awesome. So Edom is right here, what they're coming into. Now here's the thing. Because Israel is related to Edom, God tells them, pass by, don't harm them. It's their land. It's not yours. Do not mess with these people. Keep going. So they do. Now if you scroll down to uh, verse 9, then Yahweh said to me, do not harass Moab, nor provoke them to war, for I will not give any of their land as a possession, because I have given R, and that was a difficult place to find, to the sons of Lot as a possession. Notice that Moab and those people are in relation to Abraham's descendants as part of Lot's group. Everybody remember Lot, right? Righteous Lot who lived in Sodom. So notice Moab, the Moabites, that's part of their territory. And so they're still coming up through here. That's that's cute. I don't have my little pointer. I don't know what happened to it. Uh, but they're coming up through that situation there. And they're coming up that side. Now, if you scroll over to verse 19. When you come opposite the sons of Ammon, this is the Ammonites. What's funny? There you go. No, go down, go up a little bit so we can see up there, if you don't mind. See, everybody see Ammon? Okay, so Ammon is also part of the situation. Uh, verse 19, when you come opposite the sons of Ammon, do not harass them nor provoke them, for I will not give them to the land, the sons of Ammon, as a possession, because I have given it to the sons of Lot as a possession. It is their inheritance. So notice, Edom, Moab, Ammon, all off limits. You're not allowed to have them. But when you get into verse uh, 24, Arise, set out and pass through the valley of Arnon. Now, real quick, the valley of Arnon, this was a river that formed a border between Moab and the Amorites, okay? The Amorites and the Ammonites are two different people. Everybody see the Arnon River right here? Okay, excellent. So notice, something different is happening. Edomites, Moabites, sorry, yeah, Moabites, Edomites, uh, Ammonites, they're spared because they're family. But notice in this next section, you actually have uh, some of the problems of the Canaan land. It says here, I pass through the valley of Arnon, verse 24, Look, I have given Sihon the Amorite, the king of Heshbon, and his land into your hand. Begin to take it possession, begin to inherit, and contend with him in battle. And watch, because here's how God fights for people. Verse 25, This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the peoples everywhere under the heavens, who, when they hear the report of you, will tremble and be in anguish because of you. 
The Lord is going to stir something in people that makes them fearful of you. And we know this. How many people are familiar with Rahab in Jericho? Are we familiar with that story? Okay, so we've heard that. And if you remember, she makes a very interesting comment. We have heard of what your God did in Egypt. We have to remember, that's not just a, a Sunday school lesson, flyby kind of flitty little thing. It had been 40 years, okay? Is anybody still terrified of something that happened 40 years ago? You see what I'm saying? Are we worried about the Carter administration coming back? We're not. That's 40 years ago. But you see what I'm saying? That almost seems irrational unless you are dealing with an eternal God. Everybody see why that's important? We know about your God. Egypt was the greatest superpower that ever was in the world. And he just went like a pancake and flipped that entire nation. Unbelievable. So notice, at this time, there's to go in. God's going to fill them with dread. So verse 26, this is important. So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Ketamoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon. Notice the geography is very specific in this book. And notice what it says, with words of peace. Notice that. Notice they didn't all come in like Rambo with AK-47s and just ready to shred everybody with bullets. That's not how it went down. They came in, they said the first thing we're going to do is we're going to seek peace with these people. That's the way to handle this situation. Saying, here's what they said, verse 27, let me pass through your land. I will travel only on the highway. I will not turn aside to the right or to the left. You will sell me food for money so that I may eat and give me water for money so that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. In other words, peaceable terms. We'll pay for whatever we take. It'll be fair dealings. The economics is all going to work out in the end. There won't be a problem. We won't go wandering in your fields and somehow Johnny accidentally grabbed a watermelon and ran off with it. We're all good. It's not going to be a problem. Verse 29, just as, now watch this, the sons of Esau who live in Seir. Where's Seir? What's that nation called? Edom. Now notice that. Just like in Edom, friend the Moabites who live in Ar did for me. Notice that. We passed through their countries down at the bottom there. We had no problem with those people. So we have recent evidence that we are people of our word who will not harm you if you will just simply let us go through. That's the idea. Recent evidence. We have a sound testimony. Look what it says in verse 30. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through the land. For Yahweh your Elohim hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand as he is this day. Now that's a verse that's hard to deal with. Because here's what we do. We say, oh, this guy didn't have a chance. It was fate. Was it fate? No, why? Why was it not fate? Why wasn't it, well, this is just his end. This this is just how it was always going to be. Anybody know? Because he what? He lets us choose what you're saying, Colleen? God's plan? So God has a plan? We're not going to deny any of those things. But here's the thing. Does Sihon have the ability to choose evil or to choose good? He does. And, And from what it looked like, what we read last week in Leviticus 18, does everybody remember that? What were some of the things that people in the land were doing? Was homosexuality rampant? Was bestiality rampant? Were people having sex with their family members? Yep. Were they bowing down to pagan idols? Yep. And what was it? Child sacrifices. 
This is everything that that nation did. In fact, they had so defiled the nation with their evil that that it's interesting how the wording is used. The land was vomiting them out. The land had had enough. The land said, forget it. And so Israel is God's disciplinary tool to come in and remove the people and judge them for their sin because God can do that. It's not that they were all these innocent people. We just live in a peaceful community here, and we share our bread with everybody. It's not how it was. These were evil people, and their time had come. Uh, we would look at it this way. Um, what does it say? The iniquity, of the, uh, the iniquity of the nations is full. Have you ever seen a verse like that? And the iniquity of this nation was full. Well, it almost seems like, this is kind of strange to think about, but it almost seems like every nation has a cup. And as, as we do more and more evil, those cups get full. And when it comes time for the cup to spill over, God comes in and destroys the cup. It's very odd. It's very interesting. But it gives us glimpses into how he works. So moving on here. So Sihon was delivered into their hand. They took possession. I think it's important to see uh, chapter 2, verse 34. So we captured all his cities, plural. This wasn't just capturing one city. This was all of his cities. And when they built cities back then, they weren't a joke. They were 25-foot high walls. They were 20-foot deep walls. All right? So even if you got to the top, somebody could still pick you off for 20 feet. And you couldn't make it inside the city to actually start killing people and taking over. Nope. The Lord delivered the whole thing, and not just one city, but many cities into their hands. And they destroyed everything. This is the term in Hebrew that's known as harem. It is unequivocal destruction of all things uh, that go on. And so moving into chapter 3, we also see the same thing happens to Og, king of Bashan. Now Og, king of Bashan, actually owned more of the northern territory. Mitch, can we go back to the map and if you could get it up to where the Sea of Galilee is. You actually find out that this stretch of land was somewhere around 140 to 160 miles of land that they conquered at this time. Do we have it? Oh, uh, no, no, the one of Israel, but it needs to go up towards the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, right here. Everybody see East Manasseh? Everybody see that right there, that peach-colored deal? Okay, so pretty much right here would be more of the Sihon, king of Heshbon stuff. But then when you got into this river right there, you move forward all the way up to that tip at the very beginning, and notice how it juts out as well. All king of Bashan had control of all of that stuff. And so when they march in, they bypass the Ammonites and they keep going up north and they take over that entire stretch of land on the east side of the Jordan River. And that's where you find in the middle uh, of chapter 3. Let me see here, find a good place to stop. Verse 12, chapter 3, verse 12. So we took possession of the land at that time from Aor, which is in the valley of Arnon, And half of the hill country of Gilead and its cities I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. The rest of Gilead and all of Bashan, that's the north part, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh, which we see there, East Manasseh, and all the region of Argob concerning all Bashan, it is called the land of Rephaim. Now, does anybody remember what was interesting about the Rephaim? They were giants. The Rephaim, they're also known as the Zuzim, and we're also familiar with the accusation that was made was that the, um, oh gosh, what a, yeah, Anak was part of it. Anak was also a giant. 
Uh, in fact, if you remember, uh, Catherine Fick brought in some pictures that she had found on the internet uh, that we had posted up here where we saw some of the bones that had been recovered. And these are massive people. These aren't morphed people. These aren't cavemen type things or whatever. These are actual warriors, and they were they were buried alive uh, in these deals. So it's pretty crazy. Mitch, do we still have those pictures? Okay, I love that answer. That's great. Uh, so can we, can we pull those and maybe look at them next Sunday for, for this so we can kind of see some of that stuff? And what you find is also they ended up keeping Og's bed. Og's bed was about uh, 13 feet uh, why, or what is it, 13 feet tall and about 10 feet wide. And they kept it as a trophy in order to show who they had conquered, who, who they had, had delivered into their hands. Now, we would see somebody who's 13 feet high, and we say, good grief, there's no way this is going to happen. I don't even know if this is real. Andre the Giant freaks me out, right? Wilt Chamberlain? Well, imagine a whole nation of Wilt Chamberlains coming at you. I mean, that's amazing. So the Lord is delivering that uh, into their hand. Um, I know that's a funny thought, but whatever. Um, so notice verse 18, Then I commanded you at that time, saying, Yahweh your Elohim has given you this land to possess it. All you valiant men shall cross over armed before your brothers, the sons of Israel, but your wives and your little ones and your livestock, and I know that you have much livestock, shall remain in your cities, which I have given you, until Yahweh gives rest to your fellow countrymen as to you, and they also possess the land, which Yahweh your Elohim will give them beyond the Jordan. Notice they haven't crossed the Jordan yet. Then you may return every man to his possession, which I have given to you. We'll stop there. But notice, God gives a motivation for those who are going to be in the section of Manasseh or Gilead, for instance, to keep going with their brothers and to keep fighting so that they can receive their inheritance as well. Your wives and children can stay. They can be safe. That's not a problem. But as far as every valiant man, he is to cross over and he is to finish the job and everybody truly rests at the same time. So that's where we're going to stop. Does anybody have any questions before we wrap up? I know this is a real weird recap. I encourage you in your spare time, if you can, read chapters 1 through 5 of Deuteronomy. Read it once through, two times through, whatever it is. Everybody good? Okay, awesome. Let's pray. Uh, Father, it's, it's um, sometimes beyond us how Middle Eastern culture operates and how, um, how we just see uh, some of the things that you command. It might be hard for us to understand and grasp. Uh, Father, I pray that our understanding of Deuteronomy would, would help uh, um, facilitate these questions to be answered in our hearts. Uh, trusting you as the truth uh, that you that you do not do wrong that everything you command is with just reason that your ways are sure and uh, father if we need to know that at any time in our life it's definitely right now there's just a lot of questions uh, that people raise against you and, and that people try to get us off track I pray God uh, that our hearts would be um, follow ground uh, for strong roots to, to, to take root and to grow, that we would be firmly planted believers and not waver from the truth. Uh, help us, Father, to learn from this lesson of Israel's unfaithfulness and that we would be faithful in light of it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.